Okay, this is like meeting Michael Jordan or someone, you know, or making sport. I, yeah. I don't know why I make sports. And then we, dis- and then we disappoint you when we open our mouths. <laughs> <laughs> Most people in this space are, don't, have never disappointed me. Podcast Junkies, we are back. Episode 151. We have turned the corner and are headed towards episode 200. How exciting is that? Did you catch last week's episode 150, our celebration with Pat Flynn, host of Smart Passive Income? Full show notes at podcastjunkies.com slash 150, and you can actually play the episode right there. Uh, got a lot of good feedback, and I'm really excited about that opportunity to celebrate a milestone with someone like Pat, who was inspirational for me as I was getting started with this show. So I just love the way things uh, come full circle. In case you're new to the show, we do the same thing week in, week out. We speak to amazing podcast guests like the aforementioned Pat Flynn, like this week's guest, Clay Groves. He is the host of the Fish Nerds Fishing Podcast. We connected at MapCon, courtesy of Joe Pardo, and spent a couple of days together. Really just uh, interesting, interesting guy. Um, has done a lot of things in his life and that have all led him up to this. And I think he's really found his calling with his podcast. Uh, great, great personality. And we have a lot of fun and some laughs here as well. So uh, you'll learn a little bit about Clay as well. So obviously we get into the backstory of Fish Nerds and the Fish Nerds Fishing Podcast. He talks about connecting with previous guest, Amanda Dowdy from episode 136. They actually did a road trip to the conference and he talks about how they met how he's using patreon and how that has greatly helped him with podcasting advertising his ice fishing guide business on his podcast that was interesting conversation (laughs) he almost had a career in the music industry interestingly enough uh, and it was at the time um, in his own words when nirvana stunk (laughs) if you can think about going back that far um, we, we touch a little bit on his daughter's acting endeavors and that dovetails nicely into this um, topic of allowing your children the freedom to explore different interests. So, uh, so much fun, so much good stuff. Uh, really, these conversations really light me up uh, every time I have the opportunity to have them. And I think you'll enjoy this one with Clay. Don't forget to tune in to the end of the episode. We've got a super magical retention hashtag. Uh, just to see who's paying attention. So that happens at the end of this episode in case you're new and you don't know the rules. Enjoy. So Clay Groves, host of Fish Nerds Fishing Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Yeah, let me correct you. It's Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd of the Fish Nerds Podcast. That's a great title. Yeah. Thank you. When did I you made get it the, up. When did you get the promotion? <laughs> when did you get the promotion? I killed the leader, original maker. <laughs> Someone had to go. What are day-to-day responsibilities for chief executive nerd? I pretend I have time to make a podcast and then make it. (laughs) Well, if if you pretend hard enough, then you get stuff done because you're at, uh, what, 100 plus episodes? (laughs) Uh, 174. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Been doing since 2013, we started. Um, We actually started the Fishners in 2011 as a writing project, thinking we were going to get a major book deal. And it uh, turns out writing is hard and getting a mm-hmm. book deal is even harder. And podcasting, while hard, you get better feedback right away <laughs> when you do it. So podcasting, uh, it grew. The, the book project grew into a podcast. And the book never happened. No? Is that on the back yeah. burner? Uh, it, it's one of those things. So let me, let, me t- let me give you a little. You want some backstory? Sure. Let's get some backstory. All right. I'll give you some backstory. So, so originally, there was a, I had a partner in the fish nurse named Dave Kellum. And he was the chief executive fish nerd. I was the chief promotional nerd, right? We had these made up titles, but but we were equal partners. And he called me up one day in 2011. This is before we were called fish nerds. And he said, hey, Clay, I want to do something cool that no one's ever done before that we could be known for. And I said, cool, what do you want to do? And uh, and he called me because I never say no to any idea. And and there's not very many people around him who will do that. And he has no other friends. So he, he called me up and he said, Let's do something no one's ever done before. And I said, what do you want to do? And he says, I want to catch every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire and write about them. Hmm. And I said, that's interesting. Why don't we eat them all too? <laughs> so <laughs> so that was in January 2011. We launched the, the quest to catch them all, the, the quest to catch every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire and eat it. And uh, it, we did that, blog. What's that, what's that count? 48. 48, okay. 
Right, which sounds easy if you're talking about game. I don't know. Do you fish at all? Uh, a couple times when I was a little kid. Right. That's about it. Yeah. Right. Well, well, look, fishing is easy, and yeah. anyone tells you different is lying to you. But, um, but because we were going for a species fishing, catching game fish, bass, and trout, and fish you know are easy. But of those forty-eight species of fish, there's dozens of tiny fish about three inches long that nobody knows the name of. Hmm. And our we had these rules. You had to catch them on a hook, so you couldn't net them out. Uh, you had to catch them legally, and you had to eat the first legal example. So we would we would do this whole story. We wrote for two magazines. Um, in the year of the quest, we were in every news outlet in the state, including um, lots of television shows, front page of the biggest newspaper in the state. And we um, won a book pitching contest called Pitch a Palooza, where you, you pitch a one-minute book idea in front of a crowd of 100 people or so, and they critique you American Idol style, style and the winner wins a uh, an agent for their book nice and we won we beat npr personalities and real writers and we were just two guys talking about fish and then that drew on for a long time we never got a book deal that can't come back you guys are too regional you're too new hampshire you're mm. not reaching enough people you know and we uh we said okay well what can we do and we decided uh, we we could we didn't have time to write more and to reach out to more audiences so we decided to create our own audience and make a podcast and we had no idea what we were doing. I stole some headset microphones from, uh, I stole, borrowed from the classroom I was teaching in. Yeah. And we just pushed record and made our first show and figured out how to get it on iTunes and sent it out in the world. And it was really funny and really terrible quality, but, but it was fun. And we just kept doing it over and over and over and over again. And finally, the years have gone by now and the book has been, it's, the motivation to finish the book is past. Uh, we, we will regroup it someday, maybe and get it out, but it, it's, uh, it's hard to go back in time when you were creatively motivated at one point to like go back to that point where that creativity was, you know, and well, you've, it, it, it seems like you've rechanneled it into the podcast now. Yeah. Yeah. I totally have. And it's a lot of fun and I get to do cool stuff. I mean, the podcast is, you know, I have a platform where people see my name and they, they, well, they Google me and. Because of my podcast, people take me seriously. They think I'm an expert at stuff. And well, you are. <laughs> well, I I made 175 podcasts, but which is more than a lot of people. But I don't know if it's expert. And well, I think I'm it's funny. I was talking to, uh, about this earlier to with uh, Annette, who's we we both met at MapCons, and that's for mm-hmm. the benefit of our listener, or my listener. It's at, uh, Joe Pardo's conference in Philadelphia, and um, I'm big fan of the smaller conferences and I think they're so intimate and the fact that we get to connect and spend a day and a half together and we really didn't leave the space you know there was no going to like external venues and it's just so nice because you can have those sidebar conversations um, and I don't know if that's been your experience because you, you've been going longer I believe no that was the first one for you that was my first podcasting okay. conference. I've been to one, two meetups in Boston with Jared Easley. Okay. Um, but I never, I, I was going to go to podcast movement and then decided I didn't want to spend the money to go out there this year. Um, and then I, Joe, um, not Joe, Amanda Dowdy from Great Beard Adventure, yeah. who you've had on your show, uh, asked me if I would do a presentation with her um, because she and I have worked really well together and we, we think that we're, we have fun and we wanted to kind of share that with, with MapCons. We called Joe up and said, hey, Joe. You wanted something a little bit different, and he said, "Sure." And he has come down. So, uh, and that's a that's Mid Atlantic Podcast Conference for those who, who are googling Mapcon. what MapCon means. Yeah. So, what was your experience? Have you been to other? You said first podcasting conference. So, I imagine you've been to other types of conferences not related to yeah. podcasting. So, my background is education. Right. I'm I've uh, I've been a science teacher for years. Um, right now, I currently write grants for after school programming. Um, to fund after school and poor after school programming in poor schools. Uh, and I go to a lot of conferences in the education space. And I can say about 80% of any workshop I set through is a waste of my time. Uh, it's just terrible. And that's been, I've been 20 years in education, and that's been my experience with conferences in education. So this is my first conference outside of education. And I found it to be, uh, I would say, 80% of the, of the sessions there I found to be extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. And then the ones that I didn't find as far as like content value I valued the people and the experience. So it was very different for me, and I really liked it, and I was surprised at myself because I I had planned on walking out every time I got bored, and Mm -hmm. I didn't get bored. So, (laughs) yeah, that's that's why I do it for teacher conferences. Now I go into a workshop, and if it's 10 minutes in, I know if I'm going to get anything out of it, I leave. Can you talk a li- can you talk a little bit about the quality of the the people that are there, or you know, I, I get, 
I know personally that the community is so accommodating, so friendly, and I'm wondering if that's something you experienced when you were there as well. Uh, you know, I totally felt that. It, I mean, look, you've got a bunch of nerds in a room. I mean, real nerds. I mean, there's no nerdier space. I, don't, I, I would challenge anyone to find a bigger bunch of nerds who are excited about, like, talking about ATR 2100s or excited about talking about H4Ns or comparing Podbean to um, Blueberry or all this jargon going around. Yeah. We all speak this. We all speak that common language, even though our podcasts are all over the place. I mean, there we have podcasts. There's um, there was one called the Therapist Podcast. There was the Whiskey Cast. The Whiskey Cast, the Fish Nerd, you know, your podcast. And I mean, all very, very different. But we had this common common language, and I really good, enjoyed it. So I mean, it was just fun and more valuable than just sitting through the, the the lectures, which I enjoyed. Was hanging out in between those things and getting yeah. to know each other, uh, especially. I mean, we, I don't know if you were in one of the groups. I was up to like two in the morning the second night, just talking to people about yeah. podcasting, yeah. and that to me is 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 gold, you know, and and really great and there's no other opportunity like that. I mean you go to a lot of conferences so you can compare but I mean to me that was like wow, I need to do more of these things. I just got to figure out how to pay for them. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> so you, that's the challenge. If I remember correctly, you drove down with Amanda. We did. We drove yeah. down together. She lives in Portland, Maine. I live in uh in the White Mountains in New Hampshire and that that's about an hour from each other. Okay. And and uh, it, actually if we if we're both driving to New Jersey there's a point where both were where my highway and her highway intersect in Portsmouth New Hampshire where there happened to be a parking ride so we met there left my truck there and then we drove down to her minivan and we recorded her podcast in her minivan on the way down and we had a great time she is so insanely fun she's so nice um she's so nice and we i you know i i don't talk to very many people for that many hours at one time and we just talked and laughed the whole ride down, as you can imagine. Had you guys so. met previously? We did. We actually okay. met at a podcast meetup um, in Boston okay. a couple couple of years before, and then um, I lost track of her. And then I was on one of the podcast websites, uh, Facebook groups, and I said, "Hey, listen, I need a uh, person with I need a female to do a Valentine's episode with me. Anyone have a good voice?" And Amanda said, "I'll do it." And then we did. Uh, I did. I did 10 sexiest fish or something like that as a podcast. And we talked all about fish sex for an hour and we laughed and had a great time. And that was our romantic Valentine special. And then she's, okay, I don't, I'm so, excuse all those beeps. I don't know what they are. No, I'm not here. Um, oh, good. Yeah. I, I am. <laughs> uh, and then uh, she came to, she does, did a foodie event in Conway and I met up with her. That's the town I live in. And I did the event with her and recorded some stuff with her. And then we just kind of have been, text friends back and forth ever since very cool it's just easy and it's kind of neat and i've made a ton of friends through podcasts yeah. and there, I, there are people all over the world who i consider my friend i consider you my friend um and who i met through the podcast and it, i even have friends who i've never seen their faces who oh, that's funny. Are, who contribute to the podcast who, who financially and with content but i don't know what they look like hmm. and they just they just love the show and they and and, we're, and i consider them friends and uh, it's going to be surprising when I go someplace and meet them in person and have to like put their voice with their face, you know. Are you doing cool. that through Patreon? Yeah, Patreon. I've got a. Uh, I make about three hundred bucks a month on Patreon. Yes. Um, I've been doing that for about three years uh, for a long time, uh, and I have all different levels of support on there, and and uh, it's it's been really really great. And I don't know how I would keep podcasting without without a platform like Patreon because you know you can do it all yourself. Yeah. But like already as a podcaster, you know this. Suddenly, I got a great content idea, but it's not good enough to have a good idea. Now you've got to be an audio engineer. Okay, so I've got to learn how to use audio software. Now I've got to be a writer because I have to learn how to blog. Now I've got to learn how to make my website. So now I'm a website designer. Uh, and then and they're like, okay, I need to get support. Oh, shoot. Now I need to come up with a platform hmm. to get money from my people, and I don't have time for all that stuff. So it's really nice to have a platform like Patreon that can have that ongoing Support and, and again, like I said, with, without that money, we'd be sinking. I don't have any sponsors um, because one of my big failings in life is I don't like asking people. For I don't money. like. I don't. I. What's well, funny? I have no problem saying, "Hey, do you feel like my show? Give me a dollar an episode. That's yeah. easy. You know, four dollars a month is one thing. But going to a company and call, cold calling them and saying, "Hey, listen, I make this podcast. You're aware of it because you've seen us on Facebook. You want to pay me like two hundred bucks a week to talk about your fish hooks? I. I it's. I. I hate that." And so I always said I need another nerd. I need a sales nerd yeah. who can go out and do that for me. 
and and help me. And by the way, anyone listening wants to do that job, I'm hiring. Uh, you can. You it can be seems nice like I mean, uh, I think all podcasters yearn to have a show that pays for itself. A and then B, your subject matter like lends itself to thousands of sponsors. I mean, I I just just in terms of everything. If you can think about everything, fish just open up a go to a, a, a fishing store, go to a, a, open up a fishing magazine. And, and I'm sure there's like so many op opportunities. And I, I, I'm just, I have to think that if you talk to enough people, it, you should be able to get some sponsors for your show. Well, it's interesting. I go to conferences. I go to a conference. I go to, um, I, I they're called conferences. They're expos every year. And I have mm -hmm. a table at these big fishing expos. Smart. At, and I've talked to vendors. I talk to listeners and I, my show, my show grows a lot through that process. And, and I follow up with all those vendors who I speak to with a little advertising package. And what I get in the mail is piles and piles of really great fishing gear for free. But none of them, not one, has ever said, hey, here's some money. Mm -hmm. And I, even when I follow up, hey, it looks like one of the, it was one company gave me two of every fishing lure in their catalog, about $2,000 worth, worth of fishing gear. It was amazing. Wow. I was like, wow, this is great. I called them up and I said, hey, what do you want in return? And are you interested in sponsoring the show? And they said, we don't want anything in return and we don't want to sponsor your show. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't need free stuff. <laughs> I yeah. like free stuff, but I, I, what I need is money to pay for the show and take my wife out for dinner once in a while. I mean, that's just really where we're at with the show right now. So, I, And I don't want to make it about money. I like making the content. Yeah. And that's why I always say I need, I, need a, I need another nerd. I need a sales nerd who can do that piece, who doesn't mind going – Hey, I need X amount of money for a thirty-second, you know, spot, and then just tell me what to do. I, I, I'm not that guy. I, <laughs> yeah. I, it's just not. Yeah, well, so, well if, any, if anyone is listening and thinks they could be a fit, is a, a fan of fishing and, and has good sales chops, I'm sure uh, Clay would be more than willing to talk to you. Yeah, for sure. Or if you want to just give me money, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll yeah. Take cash, just... so. <laughs> so, was there an inflection point with Patreon when um, you saw that people were taking an interest and it, it could be something that could help you sustain the show? Well, it's it's weird. We first put it out there. We had about ten fans in the first week. We had it just sign all up. And, and one of the things I recommend anyone doing Patreon is prime the pot. Like like if you're on Patreon and you're not donating a dollar a week to your own show, and we do it on a, on a show, on a per show basis. Yeah. So that way I'm motivated to make the show. I don't want to get paid if I'm not producing, right? Yeah. So every show I put out, I get, it's, yeah, I'm asking for a buck. But if you don't prime your pot by putting your own money in there and your own partners in the show putting money in the pot, it doesn't help others. No one wants to be the first person to drop money in a jar. I used to be a juggler, a magician, and when you're performing on the streets and you put a hat out for money, you throw five bucks in cash, can full of quarters and some ones in there to prime it because it motivates people to mm -hmm. give. They want to give to something that's winning, not to something they think, oh, uh, I'm not going to be the first one. No one else cares about this. Why should I care about it? So prime that pot. If you're not donating money to your own show, do it. Also, if you're asking people for supporting your show and you like other shows around Patreon, put, give them money. Yeah. You know, if you're saying, if you love this show, you're going to give me a buck and then you love a show and they're saying the same thing, you don't give them a dollar, it's just a dollar, you know? Yeah. I know, I know a couple of people who have small Patreon accounts and essentially funds their ability to, to donate to other <laughs> podcasts, which is nice. Well, there's, there's about, uh, I would say there's probably about 40 or $50 a month in my Patreon that goes right to other podcasters. Yeah. It's just um, like that, just giving back into the current, this kind of like abundance mindset, and just mm -hmm. like we all help, you know, rising tide lifting all boats. Like if we all help mm -hmm. each other out, I think in the long term, it's going to be a good thing. It is. And again, attaching to what's already making money and people get excited about that. You know, if you're like, I'm 80% to this goal, and even if that 80%, some of it's your own money or your friend's money, that's fine. People want to help you get to that goal. They like that. Yeah. But, but if you're 90% from your goal, like uh, you're never going to make it. There's no yeah. point. So prime the pot a little bit and fund other podcasters. And there are other podcasts like I, there's, there's a couple of other podcasts who I give money to who give me money. It's a net zero. The only people making money is Patreon at that point, but it feels like <laughs> it looks good on the stats and all that stuff. Um, yeah, so I guess so, Patreon likes that the best. <laughs> yeah. I had, a, I opened up an account and I, and I keep running into the Patreon folks. They're super nice. They, they were at a party here for LA Podfest that they sponsored an evening event. And you know, I was telling her how, I'm just running into them more and more, and I think I need to revisit my page. And she was challenging me to get it, uh, get it updated. So it's something I, Jonathan Oakes, um, from Trivial Warfare, 
Trivial Warfare has got a fantastic Patreon uh, community, and I just keep hearing good things from people about it. And I think it's all, you know, everyone's got their different ways of getting money. Jen Briney, a past guest, she gets physical checks and she tells people, first, send me physical checks. Second, send me PayPal. And then last is, uh, uh, I think Patreon because of the fee or something like that. But she wants physical, like if you can send her a physical check, she's happy. And she actually spends 10 to 15 minutes at the end of each episode reading off like every single, this week, I got a check from, this week, I got this from. So, you know, it's, she's made it like literally part of her show. Um, but it's nice. I think it's that, that's what they encourage, right? Involve the people who are participating in your Patreon in your show. Absolutely. And and we have um, we have all country wars in now. By the way, all the people you mentioned, I know through my podcast. Yeah. I've met them all and I love nice. them all. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have, I mean, I have fish nerd swag. You see that, you know, yeah. I have the hats, I got vests, I've got who rags, I, I have send stickers out to people. Uh, but it's great. And, and I, I really discourage large donors on Patreon. Mm. I don't like it because they can't, can't sustain that. Yeah. So, so if, if a whole bunch of people are giving you $1 an episode, $4 a month, they can sustain $4 a month forever. Right. Mm-hmm. But those same people can't sustain five dollars an episode or yeah. ten dollars an episode. And so what happens is you get a lot of wave, uh, you, you know, a lot of ups and downs in your Patreon money. And I, I rather know I'm going to get three hundred dollars this month rather than have it change every month yeah. unless it's going up. It can always change up. That's good. And I do have one semi sponsor, I got a semi sponsor through Patreon. If someone gives me twenty five dollars an episode. OK, I'll, I'll mention their website on my show. OK. That and so sense. I have one person doing that, and that which is great. It's not true advertisement because it's they didn't ask me for anything, but I guess it is. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> right? I mean, I think there's always yeah. opportunities for you to be comfortable with having that slot somewhere in your show. And I I yeah. tell people this when they're getting started, like do an ad read uh, for your own product, your own book, something your your own course, like your own Amazon link, even if you only only got that, your own Audible link, like something. So you have that time sort of scheduled into your episodes and then later on you can just kind of slot bigger sponsors as they come in and but just having that mindset if that's what you want to do if you don't if you never want sponsors don't do it but if you think at some point you might it's nice to get comfort for that and i had an early early guest denny crahey he does uh diz runs running show and he did ad reads for sponsors that weren't yet sponsors but he, he made them sound amazing and he put it on soundcloud and he's like okay this is what it would sound like if you were the sponsor sponsoring my show and he used that as an opportunity to to get sponsors so you know that approach works well oh that's a really good idea i'm gonna i'm gonna steal that one yeah. i like that yeah i do advertise my own business on the show my side business is i'm an ice fishing guide okay and have you been ice fishing no i haven't You've got to come to New Hampshire, yeah. man. It's so I, I run Fish Nerds Guide Service, and I only guide in the winter on the ice because the unique experience of it. I actually, actually I record podcasts on the ice as well while I'm out there. One time last winter, I was out there ice fishing, and it was about ten below zero with like a thirty mile hour wind, and I had all my recording equipment set up in my ice fishing shanty, but I didn't hmm. have the heat on yet, so it was really free, freezing cold in there. And the the all the plastic on my microphone stands cracked and shattered oh it was God. so cold because they don't make this equipment for being no. out in terrible weather of so like everything not. everything failed i recorded about three minutes and then it was so cold my batteries all died it was wow awful. yeah, they've yeah got, really, i mean yeah. the people that do it the national geographic folks that they they get gear specifically for all that sort of stuff i imagine yeah but they're not using a 60 dollar you know microphone <laughs> they're like a 600 dollar microphone that can handle the weather but we do it and we have a great time and I've I've wired up um, ice fishing shanties with um, one time I had six microphones in there wow. and a group of ice fishermen all recording while fishing um, on the ice and it's it's a t- it's a ton of fun and it's a really unique experience so but I do advertise my my business on the podcast and I do sell trips because of it which is nice very nice yeah, lis- listeners who have never done it or just want to fish with me will pay to come fish with me the problem is I'm friendly with so many people who listen. That I have trouble asking them to pay that bill. Like, hey, yeah. Clay went to be fishing. Sure, it'll cost you X amount of money. Yeah. And then, then the second time they call me, I'm like, let's just go fishing. Yeah. Let's forget it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what is it's something bad business? What, what is something people wouldn't expect about ice fishing if they've never been, or something they're surprised okay. about? Well, what people are mostly surprised about with ice fishing is it's not. Where they, where they they picture either grumpy old men, you know that movie uh, from Maine, or they picture it's in New England. It's very popular to go ice fishing with with what's called a fishing trap. It's just a 
a, a, a couple of sticks on the ice with a flag and a fish bites, a flag pops up. And the flag mm-hmm. never pops up. So you spend all day sitting in a shanty with a, drinking beer. And that's what they picture as ice fishing. And so I think what they'd be surprised to see is that uh, fishing is ice fishing is super duper high tech. So when we we go ice fishing, we have um, every fisherman in my group has what's called a uh, flasher. It's a sonar. So we drill a hole in the ice. We drop a transducer down through the hole. And on the screen, you can see a little blip saying, okay, there's a fish where the blip is. Then you drop your bait or your hook down. And yet you don't have a blip in the screen. You match those two blips up. And when they match, the fish bites. Oh, wow. And so it's it's a video game. So you catch a lot of fish. It's super interactive. It's fast-paced. You move around a lot. Um, and I cook everyone a nice hot meal while we're fishing. I don't care what the weather is. could be a blizzard. We're on the ice. I'm going to fire the grill up, and I'm going to make a, you some beer and brats for lunch with some nice sauerkraut, spicy mustard, and you're going to cry a little bit um, because it's it warms your heart to have a hot meal while you're fishing. And if you're vegetarian, I'll, I'll cook you broccoli. I don't know what you vegetarian <laughs> eat, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, I'll be honest. Most vegetarians aren't ice fishermen yeah. either. It just it does. Well, pes- pescatarians. Yeah, pescatarians. Yeah. That's, you, that's is the, is the, the idea? Meat. I mean, with ice fishing, do you get that same? Um, is there some sustainability taken into account with that as well? There, there is. But with freshwater fish, it's a whole different game. People don't generally, uh, at least in New England, keep a lot of freshwater fish. We okay. we might eat. We're going to eat that day. I don't stack my freezer. Most people don't. And the reason is, is uh, mercury, mm. uh, acid rain. If you look at the jet stream of the United States, New England's a tailpipe of the country. All the, all the air from the country goes up in the jet stream and dumps out over New England. And it dumps acid rain into all of rivers and lakes. Whoa. So we, have, we are not recommended to eat that many freshwater fish. So we do keep some fish. But generally speaking, uh, we're letting most fish go. We're taking photos and releasing them. Uh, and we're eating bratwurst and not fish, usually on the ice. Uh, in the ocean, though, when we fish, we do consider sustainability, and we are we do try to be very careful about that. But in freshwater, it's it's a thought, but we're not we're not crushing the fish like that. How how thick does the ice have to be? Because that's one of the things newbies, I'm sure, get really scared about. <laughs> yeah, so uh, four inches uh, is safe to uh, to walk on. Yeah, remember, so ice is floats, right? Yeah. So you're you're not being supported by the ice. You're being floated on top of the ice. Okay. So it doesn't have to hold you up. That same four inches without water under it would break. You'd fall yeah. through and die. Um, actually, less than that would hold you pretty well. But four inches is considered safe. And then if you want to drive a snowmobile on the ice, six inches. Okay. You want to drive a, a truck on the ice, seven inches. You want to land an airplane on the ice, 12 inches or more. And we do have airports on the ice up here. You do. Um, yeah, they open up just for the winter time on Lake Winnipesaukee. There's a big airport right on the ice, and airplanes will come in. They'll land on the ice, and people will walk out of the plane, drill a hole in the ice, and go fishing. And it's <laughs> it's it's beautiful. It's so much fun. It's ridiculous. There's whole villages on the ice here in the winter time. So that's, it's that, really that's a, that's a whole other industry right there. Just fly in and ice fish. Yeah, they totally do it. Now you, it's a different kind of money than I have. You yeah. might have that kind of podcasting money, I do, but I, I don't. Do not. <laughs> but it's my dream to do that someday to get on a, mm-hmm. the private plane and fly into a lake someplace and just land and fish and then fly out again, um, or at least be really the fun. guide for them when they land. Oh, see now I like the way you think, Harry. <laughs> I mean, they're they're waiting. They're they're coming off. They're looking for uh, you know someone local to the area to show them around, and you're already doing it. So yeah, why not use this have... as a just target a different audience? That's a really great idea, and you got to be licensed to do it. It's not yeah. anyone can do it. It's a really difficult test. You have to be an expert outdoorsman, or at least pass that test that shows you're an expert. There are plenty of great outdoorsmen who can't pass that test. <laughs> yeah, well, just just think about the example of like being a um, a chef or someone that can mm-hmm. not even a chef, someone that can cook. You can run the gamut from working in like a uh, a diner, you know, flipping burgers to like uh, a, a, just a, a Olive Garden, <laughs> or just working right. at, at a Chinese restaurant or a Wolfgang, sure. Wolfgang Pucks or a private chef. Or on a yacht or on a plane, like, I mean, like a high-end plane or something. Just like there's the whole gamut of like where you can where you can do what it is that you do best. And so if you are doing something, then you're really good at it. There's an audience that's going to be willing to pay to get a premium white glove version of that service and just kind of like a done for you. Like, okay, I don't know anything about it. I don't want to know anything about it. And I, know that, I want to know that I'm in good hands with you. And then you price it at a premium and they 
they associate the premium price with premium service, which I'm sure is what you provide anyway. So sure. for the same level of service that you're currently providing, you could probably 4X your prices and, and find an, the audience that is willing to pay that and to kind of like see where they hang out. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like when I when I get paid to go ice fishing, uh, and I charge anywhere between two fifty for a short trip or like three fifty or four hundred for a longer day, I am shocked when anyone pays it. I can't even believe someone would pay that to go fishing, but they do, and mm-hmm. and they're happy to pay it and have a great time doing it. I just I I've never had that kind of disposable income, so to me that's insane that somebody would pay that kind of money. But I mean, they're paying for me. I know where the fish live. I have all the tools. I have the equipment. I have the sonars. I have heaters. I'm trained in safety. I've got mm-hmm. snowmobiles. I have. All, I pay insurance. I, I, I buy a ton of stuff to make it the experience. But what I'm doing this, you know, like this, I'm doing in January, I'm trying to grow my business. So I've invited all the local inn owners in the Mount Washington Valley where Smart. I live. We're, we're a big tourist agency up yeah. here. Uh, area and I invite them all to go ice fishing for a day on the ice. So I'm setting up. I have a a shanty out in the ice. I put astroturf out. Well, I'll be putting astroturf out in front of it like green grass, with lawn chairs and big patio heaters up there to warm the spot. Uh, inside the shanty will be a big screen TV with underwater camera showing what's happening under the ice. Wow! And I'll be cooking. Um, uh, I'll be actually I'll be smoking um, ribs all day for them and have this big. Because I want them to, to tell their customers yeah. that I exist, and so they'll come out and have the experience, and then they go home to their to their end, and they go, oh, you can, while you're in town, you might want to think about going ice fishing. Oh yeah, with the fish nerds. And then yeah. you do, and that's when you double the price. And that's when you raise prices. That's right. When you have demand. Right now, you know, I'm, I'm not sold out. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think I think it's just a matter of giving people a level of service and what they're. Just don't equate it with like they're paying for like the physical time, like oh they're paying for an hour of my time, or they're paying for this equipment that I'm bringing out, or they're paying for the chair that they're sitting in. They're paying for the experience, and they're paying for your like IP, your intellectual property, like oh, you, sure. your experience, like trusting that you know what you're doing, that you're not going to fall through the ice, that you, you're going to make sure they have a good time, that they're going to be taken care of, that they don't have to worry about what equipment to buy. Like you've you've covered it all, and there's yeah. just something to be said for like paying and having a comfort level that you're in good hands. Yeah, man, it's fun, and it's really yeah. it's it's it's, it's a, every like just like everything else, like podcasting, it's customer experience. Fishing is a customer experience. You know, our listeners are our customers, whether they're paying us or not. Yeah. They they're still no, our totally. customers. Yeah. And so, by making a fun show, an interesting show, uh, you're serving your audience. You're serving your customers. There's no difference. Reacting to an email is customer service. Hitting the like on a Facebook post that someone takes time to put on your page mm-hmm. that's customer service. It's yeah. really basic and simple and 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 valuable. So it's what, fun. What can you tell us an early memorable fishing story? Uh. <laughs> I'll tell you one from a, a few years ago. This actually, we did, we wrote a, we wrote another book last year, never published it. We keep starting books, never doing it. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I was, I tried to crowdsource a book last November for yeah. National Novels Writers Month, and I got about ten stories. I wanted about forty yeah. to make the book, so I got, I've started. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick it up again this November. And uh, what I wanted was fishing adventure stories. Okay. So I'll give you, I'll give you the very short version of the sure. one that I wrote for the book. So I used to work at a dam in Manchester, New Hampshire that had a fish ladder at it. Fish ladder is a way that migrating salmon and shad can cross up over top of the dam. It's like stairs for fish. Okay. And the, below dams is a known great place to fish. And I had keys to drive my car to the bottom of the, of the fish ladder to put my boat in the water and canoe to the fishing spot. Yeah. My, fr- my friend, uh, Tattoo Dan, and uh, Dan, Tattoo Dan's a tattoo artist, he and I were, were fishing across the river. And... The dam is 75 feet across, 175 feet across, and about 65 feet tall. Yeah. And it has the very the top four feet of a dam is covered in what's called flashboards, and those are boards that are designed to fall down when too much water comes through. Okay. And what happens is, is there, there was a huge storm about 40 miles north of us upstream, huge rainstorm. And all that water's coming rushing down the river. Now Dan and I are fishing below the dam. We're not in a boat anymore. We're the boat's tied to a tree. Mm-hmm. And we're fishing in the call it's called the pools below the dam. There's no water down there right now because the dam boards were up. Uh, the dam boards were there. But this wall of water is coming rushing down the river. And Un- unbeknownst just, to you? 
unbeknownst to us. Now, there is an alarm system at the dam. When the river when the river is about to pass a certain point, about 100 feet from the boards, big sirens blast. Oh, Get out of the water. The water's about to rise. Now, 100 feet is nothing for water to move. It's, it's gone just yeah. like that. So we're fishing. The alarm goes off. I look at Dan. He looks at me. We look. The, we looked up at the dam, and the boards start falling. And oh. this wall of so suddenly, where there was no water in the river, now there's thousands of gallons coming down, and it's coming all around us. We get to high ground. We see our boat still tied to a tree, kind of flapping. His boat was on dry ground. Now the boat's floating. Yeah. And we look at each other, and we grab our fishing rods. We put them on our teeth, <laughs> and we jumped in the rapids feet first. And we it, it, one of the tricks for getting through rapids is you don't fight them, you go with them. Yeah. And you go foot for, feet first on your butt, so your butt is bouncing on rocks. Yeah. And we butt bounced our way down to the canoe, threw our wow. stuff in the canoe, and managed to paddle back to the car. And this all took about 25 minutes. I told it very fast. Uh, and then we load the canoe on the car, and we're driving up to the top of the dam, and we see, we're up now uphill now, and we're looking down, and we see there's helicopters flying past us. There are cops with uh, binoculars on top of the bridge looking in the river. Yeah. And there's a Zodiac boat in the river below us looking for something. Oh, so I, I pull up to the cop. I get out of my car. I'm dripping wet. And I say, what's, what's going on down there? And he goes, oh, a couple of guys were fishing down there. And the flashboards gave. And someone called 911. And we're trying to find them. And I said, huh, that's weird. I was just down there fishing. I didn't see anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and then we left. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah, true. How is, so, is that instinctual at that point when the, the idea to jump in? I don't know that everyone have, would have that thought that let me jump into the rapids. Is that something you're taught? No. Well, if, if you're raised in rivers, like my kids um, spend all summer in rivers, okay. playing in rivers, playing in rapids, jumping in. And I taught them that. I don't recall learning it. And they won't recall learning it when they're adults either. It's just part of our culture. Just like uh, if you live in a city, you know how to navigate the urban environment yeah. and do what you do in a city. If you live in the mountains and rivers, you know how to navigate your your environment. Mm -hmm. And you know, it just so happens that we know how to navigate rivers because that's what we spend all of our time doing. It's not a big deal. My, both my kids would, would be fine in that scenario. And my kids are seven and ten. And so is the only option you had at that point was to jump into the rapids or it just would have gone too high? Yeah, you couldn't walk across. You couldn't oh, wow. swim across. The only way was downstream or climbing one of those, there's like little islands. You could climb a tree and wait mm -hmm. for rescue. Hmm. But we didn't feel, you know, we were, I was in my mid twenties Yeah. and you're, you know, it's your most dangerous time as a guy to be alive when you're 24 years yeah. old. Um, we didn't feel like we were in any real danger. So we just saw it as, okay, there's the boat. Here we are. How do we get there? Let's go. Yeah. That was it. And it was no big deal. And we never panicked or worried or got in any kind of trouble. Very cool. And uh, yeah, and that was it. But it was really kind of fun to to give the cop a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> and you must have felt very special having all these people searching for you. You know, it, it's, it's really great that 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 people do respond yeah, like that. That's when nice. people need help. I, it, was, it got me thinking about um, all these tragedies we have in the world. And you mm. think about like... Like I'm, I don't get, get dark for a second, but you think about like when bad things happen in Orlando, the, the shooting in Orlando a couple mm -hmm. of years ago. They had Orlando strong, right, in the Vegas shooting, and all these other things, and they and they always are so like, you know, what's really amazing is that people showed up and help, and heroes appeared. And I find that not remarkable at all. I find that to be normal for people. People yeah. are normally good and normally heroic and normally great to each other. And somehow, whenever bad things happen and people show up and help. We're surprised by that when we really should be surprised at the opposite. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised when people don't help because yeah. most people are good. Most people are heroic. Most people are helpful and most people are kind. And I think that we forget that sometimes. And that's why we, we write Vegas strong. But really, it's it's human strong. It's yeah. people are good, largely good everywhere in the world and largely want to help each other everywhere in the world. That's the truth about most humans. Uh, and we forget that. And that's so... I wasn't surprised. I, you know, I'm excited that people do that. Yeah. Not surprised. I'm glad people are who they are, and people are largely good. So yeah, it's just yeah. affirming in the in the power of like uh, like human inherent human nature. It is to do good things, and just highlights the fact that all the people, the small, 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 minuscule minority that's doing really crappy things, you know, is, is really outweighed. And and I, I had that feeling in 9/11. Like after that. I, it was the first time I felt New York City like a small town. It was mm -hmm. just, you just walk the street and I... Were I, you living in New York at the time? I was. Uh, and yeah. I used to work like five blocks away from it. So I literally saw everything happening from the roof of my building uh, live, which was 
very surreal, but just the way this, the, this, just that neighborhood came together, the whole city came together, just, and unfortunately, we need moments like that to, uh, for that to become aware of it. But it's there, and it's nice to know that it's there, to your point. It's always there, yeah. and 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 that's why we're and that's why we're always touched by it because yeah. it reminds us that it's always there. We're not special because mm-hmm. we were in New York when something bad happened, um, and and you know violence worldwide is down, and it has been since nineteen nineties. Mm-hmm. It's it's it's, a, it's never been a better time to to be alive and, and be safe anywhere in the world than it is right now. But we don't feel that because of the media and stuff. So that's why we need to fish more and talk about fish more because yeah. it never gets scary like that. What got you into teaching? Uh, I, I was in music for a bunch of years, okay. um, uh, working in music stores for a while. And the store I was working for went out of business Sam, and I was, was, it I, Sam, was the same goodie. No, it was strawberries <laughs> <laughs> was related. It was strawberries music store okay. in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, which was owned uh, originally started by the mafia, believe it or not. Mm. Um, we didn't know that until after, but, but, uh, I didn't know that until after a lot of people probably knew that already. Yeah. But uh, they went out of business. It was right in the. It was in the mid '90s when music stores were just closing down. It was technology was changing, and and uh, so I lost that job. And then I joined AmeriCorps, which is a national service organization. And I did two years of national service. Believe it or not, having no teaching experience, and they put me in science programming, and they put me in fisheries programming, and I learned to be a fish nerd, and I learned to teach at the same time. So I started mm-hmm. learning everything about fish and how to teach at the same time. And from there. I said, I'm going to be a teacher. I went to college and did all the stuff I was supposed to do. And uh, of course, now I'm not teaching now. Now I'm grant writing, which is less fun. <laughs> it helps <laughs> It helps more people, but it's way less fun, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it, just, it was just kind of what was next. I had nothing going on. I, had, I thought I knew my career was going to be in music. And um, I was hoping to work my way up from working, managing stores into like, uh, at the time, um, some of the big record companies would hire their reps out of stores. And I was hoping to work for Warner Brothers or Atlantic Records or something. And I was close. Uh, and then everything fell apart. And I went, all right, what's next? And moved on. So let's tease that, story out. Let's tease that story out a little bit. Because I imagine as we go further and further back with your, with your career, I'm, I, I, I get the sense that the stories just keep getting more and more interesting. <laughs> There's so many stories. So. There's, it never ends. It so never what's, ends. What's the the music about? What's what's that background, and, and where's the interest come from? Oh, I I was just a big punk rock fan in the okay. I you know I went to high school in New Jersey. Um, I lived in Manhattan as a kid, and so like eighties eighties rap I was way into in the eighties. I lived yep. in Manhattan. I lived I went to junior high school on Fourteenth Street. Lived in Governor's Island and the Coast Guard base. And, oh, nice. And so like you know all my all my I live in the mountains now, and I'm a mountain person, but I'm just as much a city person. Like I I was in the streets of New York in, in the eighties. I mean that's that's urban. That's yeah. Did you watch yeah. um the the get the get down on Netflix? I have not watched the get uh, down. It'll, it'll be it'll be a trip down memory lane. The first season is better than the second one, but just the uh, music like Africa Bambada and the Bronx in the seventies, bringing the hip hop and the disco and the matching and all of it like Run DMC and just like the uh, birth of hip hop. Like that was for me. Like that's me. I I grew up DJing. I mean, I've got my turntables still in the background here, and I grew up like listening to vinyl records and it was just a magical time yeah so it was so i went from all that kind of like musical just in my cultural life like my daily life in the 90s uh, in the 80s i was got into punks when i moved to new jersey I got to punk music really big fan of all the old 80s punk stuff and then in 1991 i moved to england and went to the Reading festival uh that was when nirvana broke big hmm. and blur and that's Tom dustbin by the way nirvana was awful Awful. The worst band I've ever seen at that point in my life. Really? And I got back to the United States afterwards and they were like the biggest thing. I'm like, what is it? They were terrible. Like, and I couldn't like them because I was so pissed at how bad they were. Like they were terrible. And then the Brit pop band Blur played after them and blew them off the stage. Mm-hmm. And then I got back to the United States and they're huge. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And I refused to like, like them. Now, like 20 years later, I'm like, yeah, they're yeah, awesome. Yeah. I love them. You know, like, now appreciate like, them. Yeah, I appreciate them now. So. Um, but yeah, so there's no real reason. It just happened to be what was next. You know, it's, yeah. I moved to New Hampshire and I didn't have a job and they were hiring and I applied for a job. I, I actually worked there 30, 40 hours a week and I worked at Taco Bell another 20 or 30 hours a week in my, in the nineties. So you, when you're, when you're in your twenties, you can do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Work a ton. Now I'm old. I'm patient for that anymore. <laughs> uh, so what do you, what do you play? What instruments? Nothing. Nothing. I just sold. I just sold That's music. It. I am no talent at all. The only <laughs> talent I have, and it's just barely talent, is I'm. Re- I talk a lot. Yeah. That's barely counts as talent, you know. And 
Uh, yeah, I wish. I wish. I own a guitar. I've owned it for about. Um, my wife bought it for me as a college graduation present. Okay. And I said, she said, "What do you want for college graduation?" Because I didn't go to college until I was in my thirties. Yeah. And and I said, I want a guitar and lessons. And she went, "Okay," and bought me a guitar. And so I still have it. It just sits on a shelf or on a stand, and it looks really pretty in the living room. And once in a while, friends will come over and noodle on it, and I'm like, man, I wish I could make noise out of that thing. Because I have all the books and CDs and all yeah. the stuff. I don't have his knowledge. Like I need help with some things. It um, sounds like another podcast you can start. I know how to play guitar with yeah. clay. <laughs> yeah, how to learning the guitar, you know, one chord at a time. You just go through, and every every episode, you're just like, okay, let's figure this out. And you just that'll be your podcast episode slash jam session slash guitar uh, lesson. I can't think of a worse podcast. I just live terrible. <laughs> There's been stranger ones started. I'm sure, but you, you never know. There may be someone who want to learn with me. Yeah, and like, and and at any point. So once there's like a hundred episodes that's out, great. they imagine that. One, and and go, imagine okay. if at the end of a hundred, like you're jamming on the guitar, and you're like, guys, this is possible. Go listen to episode one. I literally did not even know like how to like whatever string a guitar or, or right. whatever it is you need to learn. So, all right. So now I need to find a way to make money podcasting because. <laughs> Who's got time for more? Yeah. One podcast takes up so much time. I can't imagine. I I know people who do multiple podcasts. I'm yeah. like, that seems impossible unless you have like no friends, no family, and no job. Yeah, like it's who has time? You mentioned you you juggler as well. Uh yeah. Well, yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and, <laughs> is it just like just you get attracted like jack of all trades, or are you just kind of learning a little bit of something, or you know, because well, Da Vinci had that as well. He was a juggler? No, he just he just learned he had like oh. he used to do all these things like woodworking, sculpting, painting, like gardening. I don't know, he just you find out that as pro, you know amazing as he was as a painter, it's cuz he had all these other things and I think that helped colored his experience. Yeah, well, I think ADHD wasn't invented when I was a kid. Hmm. So, I I what I do is I it, I'm my problem is I'm impulsive. Hmm. And I'm impulsive and I'm stubborn. So like when people say, hey, Clay, you want to try something? I always say, yeah, let's give it a go. Like right now, I'm processing how to make a guitar podcast because you wrecked my day. <laughs> and, and so I have a really hard time saying no to any, any concept or any idea. Yeah. So I always try stuff. I did beekeeping last year for a year. <laughs> beekeeping. Someone, so, someone gave me bee, beekeeping gear and they gave me all this stuff. And I went, all right, I'm going to be a beekeeper this year. And I, I had, before that day, I had never thought about being a beekeeper. There's there's someone, there's, there's a be, beekeeping podcast by the way in case you're wondering and he's, he's actually I reached out it. to me yeah 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 it's good it's a very good podcast it does its job but yeah I listened to I, I listened to that podcast I did live streaming of every beekeeping adventure I had from the very first day I did a live stream on Facebook of my bees and people loved it and I never got stung and they all died at the end and flew oh. or flew away I never got any honey and it cost me hundreds of hundreds of dollars to be a beekeeper and I gave it up because I couldn't afford to keep going I would have. But you uh, tried because it because it's fascinating. Yeah, I tried it. I, I was a beekeeper. Yeah. What else have you yeah. tried? Oh, God. I <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. I because I, it kind of comes as it goes, and I don't think yeah. about all the stuff. Um, but yeah, I was a juggler. I was a magician. I was a beekeeper. I've been a teacher. I've been a science trainer, citizen scientist. I've had every kind of job from being a chef to being a janitor. Um, and even even my current job, where I'm a grant writer, I never wrote a grant until um, I got this job. And then my first grant I wrote was for a $300,000 five-year after-school programming grant, and I got it. Nice. So now I'm a grant writer, which I've never done, not trained for. And you just kind of, you, you nerd out on all, like, and one of the things I always say to people, like, they say, why fish nerds? And I always say, like, people, are, everyone's nerdy about something. Yeah. And, and like, in the, in the 80s, being a nerd was, you know, you wore the glasses, the tape in the middle, and people made fun of you. But now nerd is like a chic thing. It's a cool thing. And, and I always say, pick your thing, and whatever it is, go nuts with it. Be nerdy about it. If you're a mm -hmm. sports person, if, if you're way into sports stats, which I don't understand at all, believe it or not, you're, you're a nerd. You're, yeah. There's nothing nerdier than someone memorizing a bunch of stats. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the definition the, the, the of nerd. The fantasy football folks. <laughs> the fantasy uh, I, I, I don't get that at all. <laughs> those guys beat me in the podcast awards. Like, I can't compete. Like, the, the Fish Nerds podcast gets mixed in with these sporting, real sports uh, awards okay. yeah. category. I can't. You can't win against fantasy football. But I always say, whatever you're nerdy about, that's what it is. I happen to, in the last few years, be really into fish. That could go away in a couple mm -hmm. of years. I might be, I, you know, five years before that, I was a big organic gardener. I was an organic yeah. gardener. Um, so it's whatever your thing is at the time. And now I have, like, multiple things. But I have kids now, right? I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. And my 7-year-old's into acting now. So she's trying out for all the plays. So last year, 
she tried out for a professional play at a, at a local theater here, professional theater. Um, and uh, she said, Dad, will you come with me? I'm not an actor. I'm not trained in anything. I can't sing. I can't dance. And uh, I did the reading with her. Mm-hmm. And they offered – I didn't want a part, um, <laughs> but they offered us both speaking parts in the play. I was I was the minister yeah. uh, in the play. And I, I, it's funny as an atheist. <laughs> it's a really funny role for me. So – so I'm like, sure, let's do it. So the two of us acting that play tonight, she and I are trying out for Christmas Carol oh. and she's been in about six professional plays since then. Nice. And my, my job as a dad is to encourage my kids nerdiness, nerdiness. I want them to be as nerdy as they want to be. Yeah. Uh, and I don't force them They're, They They do all the things. Um, and they, but they think, so here's a funny thing about my kids. They're surprised when, when families sit home together and watch TV. They find that to be such a bizarre thing. Like we went to the doctors and my 10-year-old's getting her checkup. And the doctor says, hey, so no more than three hours of TV per day. And she said, what do you, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you can't watch more than three hours of TV per day. And she goes, do, do, is that a thing people do? I don't understand what you're talking about. Because we have TV, but we, we yeah. turn it on on Saturday morning for an hour. I mean, it really is. I, I mean, I like to watch TV at night when the kids are in bed. but. Mm-hmm. It's not part of our family culture because we're so busy with so many things. And she's surprised that dads don't all have their nerdy hobbies. Because I have a podcast. My friend is a drummer in a leftist marching band, um, which they show up at political events and they just oh play God. over. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, and but but all of my, so my friends are all nerds too. And so my kids are very surprised at the normal American dad as opposed to like the nerdy people like us who do things and create things and and i think that's good for our kids to see that and for them to embrace their inner nerd and be who they are and it's really fun and working in the school with kids now you're seeing that more and more because i'm seeing 10 year olds with facebook uh not facebook youtube channels yeah who are making money playing video games yeah like it's insane they called me nintendo no friendo when i was in high school because i played nintendo until my thumbs are bloody but now kids are doing it and getting paid for it because of their YouTube channel. It's insane. So it, kids are doing it, and they're they're being. And believe it or not, that's a creative endeavor. It's still making art. You're making a visual thing for someone else to ingest. Whether I get it or not doesn't matter. Um, but to a kid, that's creating something. They're doing a thing and mm-hmm. producing uh, content for the world to see. That's artist. You make a podcast that makes you an artist. It, depending, no matter what else you're doing, you're creating something for people to con- consume uh, for entertainment. That's art. And so my kids are, are surprised when people aren't artistic in some way, aren't creating something in some way. And I like that, that that surprises them. I think that makes, as a dad, one of the few things I'm doing right is I'm winning in that area. My kids want people to be creative and are excited by creative endeavors. So I think that's, that's really- awesome, Clay. I think that uh, so many parents could learn from that approach because I think they get overwhelmed with what it is, you know, how, how to raise a child perfectly in this environment there is no perfect way but i think to the well, extent i can write the book <laughs> like like the you, book. like you need another book assignment right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but i think just this idea of letting them go and explore and and find you know letting them try a couple of different instruments maybe they don't t- take to one maybe they take to none maybe they take to all or something like letting them work it out because there's a period in their life you know and they said like you know that first through one through seven is when a, a child's mind is literally like imaginary friends i and, screwed up <laughs> but just at any age just like encourage the the magic in, in life and, and to have them chase the magic in life and to say look there's no wrong answer there's no wrong thing to do there's no wrong hobby like if it lights you up and because you know how they are they'll they'll have something that'll be hot for them for like three months and it'll be like oh, on to the next one you know and, and you live through that yourself I, I think so that's why you're more open to the, allowing them to have those experiences yeah, it's funny. It frustrates my my uh, mother in law a little bit because the kids will start things and quit them all the time, and I'm like, "There's nothing wrong with it. That's yeah. how we learn. Yeah. If if it sticks, it's the right thing. If they quit, quit early. Quit when you yeah. need it. Yeah. Don't quit. Don't stick it through it because you want to be a tough guy. Just just do the stuff. So. Or because your mom is sending you to piano lessons every Sunday morning. <laughs> all your yeah. I mean, I mean, there is there is a certain amount of the kids have to do the thing yeah. because they like my kids have to do be good in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Suck it up. You don't get to not like school. Yeah. Everyone likes school. That's, I tell them that that's, you're, you're not allowed not to like it. Very cool. Uh, but but in their in their hobby activities, if they don't like gymnastics, don't yeah. do gymnastics. My my ten year old loves um like karate. She does karate. Mm. I can't, in a in a million years did I ever think I'd be spending my Friday nights going to karate matches. Uh, it's funny. so to me uninteresting to yeah. me. But she doesn't know that. Yeah. She won't 
I won't play this for her. I, I could give a. Sh- I don't care. I just, <laughs> why? <laughs> but that's her nerd. That's her. That's her. You know, I, she loves it. Yeah. You know, she, she loves every minute, and it's organized and disciplined, and it makes, matches her brain. Yeah. And I'm not organized and disciplined, so. Yeah, there's it's, good. It's, I, I I took martial arts for three years, and there's something about the discipline and the respect for the place where you're coming to learn and the teacher, and there's those are important lessons I, I think, and everyone gets them from from different areas and a lot of people do get that discipline that they do bring into the rest of their lives uh from martial arts yeah so good for them yeah, yeah. yeah so that's i don't know if i answered a question or if you were just talking <laughs> no idea where we're at <laughs> just a couple more questions as we wrap yeah, up sure. uh, what's something you've changed your mind about recently um that's a really good question uh, i change my mind so often uh, it's i've been actually believe it or not in the last couple of years because of conflicts on facebook i've been practicing being wrong okay i've been making it a point to notice when i'm wrong as fast as i can and to step back and say you know what i'm wrong yeah and so that's so that's where i've been at in my own personal development is practicing being wrong and even accepting being called wrong when i know i'm right um Mm. because deciding does that fight matter or not Mm -hmm. and you know the old saying you can be right or you can be happy Mm. And I'm choosing, I'm choosing my battles differently, and I'm also willing to explore me being wrong, even when I really think I'm right. And so I try harder to listen to people and to hear what they're saying and understand where they're coming from before I, I get defensive on being right or being wrong. So I, I'm wrong a lot more than I ever was. Um, my wife is telling me I'm wrong too often these days, but I'm... <laughs> <laughs> it almost sounds like a compliment. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, you know, it's a lot of people are never wrong, and, yeah. and so, but I, but I don't, I don't argue anymore with people. I, I listen, and I go, boy, you know, I hear your point, and I think you might be right. Yeah. Um, and I say, so I, so I agree with them, and then I might add something to them to carry their that conversation forward, as opposed to saying wrong, you know, and going against them. Yeah, because you and, shut it, shut down the conversation at that point. And you're not hearing them. You're busy formulating yeah. your own argument against what, you know, they all saying you're planning what you're going to say next. Yeah. And when you're wrong, uh, especially in a power situation, like if I'm talking to my, one of my supervisors and they're going on and on about, you know, mistake I might've made. And, and if I stop and say, you know what? I hear you. And I was totally wrong about that when I, I made a mistake. How do we fix it and go forward? Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation about how wrong I was ends. And now we're talking about productivity again. We can get things done. And way more valuable for me to be wrong than right. Unless it's trivia night. Last night at the bar, we did trivia night. And I did not like being wrong then. I hated that. <laughs> well, it's interesting, Clay, because you have to really like swallow your pride. And you have to not, 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 not let your ego like control the situation and feel the need to be right. Um, and I, and that comes with age. I mean, it's I've, I've realized those lessons the hard way. And I'm still realizing them. We all do. And I think... Um, it's so funny because sometimes you wish you could give these lessons to people that are younger than you and so they wouldn't have to go through them. But I think we have to go through them. <laughs> and I think... we have to. Well, it's, it's, it's right in school. They're trying to teach kids empathy, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like my wife's a kindergarten teacher and she's, and she's like, how do we teach empathy? I'm like, you don't teach empathy. Empathy is an experiential thing. We learn to be empathetic because we make fun of a kid and the kid cries mm-hmm. and then we feel bad. Yep. That bad feeling we get when we did that one thing wrong, that's mm-hmm. empathy. And you cannot teach that. That you have to make the mistake yeah. to learn it. I think with being wrong and with my with kind of my brain space these days is, it's where I am at in life, and so I can't tell someone to practice being wrong. They have to come to that point and and do it on their own. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same as learning empathy. You can't teach it. You gotta just either do it or don't do it, and either have it or don't. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. What yeah. What's the one most misunderstood thing about you? People think that I am. Uh, I am always happy all the time. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and I think that that's true, I would say, 90% of the time. Even in like really sad situations, I'm usually the first one to make a joke at a funeral. My mom died last summer, and mm-hmm. at the funeral, I was making jokes. Uh, it's how I cope with real life. Yeah. It's, I, that's my mechanism. Um, but but they, they think I'm always the, the happiest person in the room. And uh, the other, Oh, there's one more bigger thing is I am socially shy. <laughs> like, I have no... This is true. People think that... I'm good at mingling in a room full of people. Mm-hmm. And I, this is bigger than the other one. And, and I hate it. I yeah. hate, I hate it. Um, I love public speaking. Like I got hired to speak at, at the Virginia aquarium this year and flown down to Virginia beach as keynote speaker. No problem at nice. all. Congrats. No, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't shy room full of, you know, a couple hundred people. No problem at all. Afterwards at the meet and greet, I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> Like I wanted to run and hide. I hated. I had yeah. to force myself to do that. So I'm bad at that kind of one-on-one interaction. 
this is okay because there's a computer between us <laughs> <laughs> and podcasting conferences obviously you're good because i saw you walking around with the mic there yeah well i had yeah, that's gonna it's it's so your microphone is like a shield right yeah, it's puts a, it puts something between us and it allows me to get in and it's an icebreaker Mm-hmm. So I have a thing in my hand, you know, and, and it helps me. But even that, like if you if you are ever at a place where other podcasters aren't and you're doing that same thing, it is really difficult. For uh, if, you, if you're at a big ice fishing competition and there are hundreds of grumpy old ice fishermen on the ice and you walk up to a group of people drinking, you know, cans of, of Schlitz or whatever, there's a pile on the ice next to them, all these dead fish, and you stick a microphone in their face, it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, Luckily, I've been doing it long enough in New Hampshire, and I sponsor all the ice fishing pages um, on the internet. There's like a lot of listservs. I sponsor those. Okay. That's my podcasting sponsorship. That's why I, that's why I pay my money to to, to grow the show. Mm-hmm. Um, they all know my brand. Nice. So I say, fish nerds, oh, I saw you on the internet. I'm like, okay, good. Now yeah. tell, tell me about why you don't like hanging out with your wife or whatever reason on the ice for <laughs> The classic answer of why do people ice fish is yeah. it gets, gets away from their wife. Uh, every, it's, it's the most classic old fisherman joke there is. I'm so, I'm so tempted to already title this episode Breaking Ice Both Literally and Figuratively. Oh, uh, do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clay, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Um, sure. I'm really glad we got to meet. And I, you know, it's one of those things like in the podcasting world, you sort of have not heard of the person or we've, we've got mutual friends in common. And so it just sometimes takes a, you know, a day or two together to really like get to know each other and, and realize that the, the conversation is probably long overdue. And I'm, I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Yeah, for sure. I first heard of you, gosh, must have been two years ago. Liz Kovart, friend of mine, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was wearing a t-shirt, uh, one of your t-shirts, okay, and okay. I asked her about it, and she told me about it. So, And then from there, I kind of like been following That's... you on Facebook for years, and then I saw you at the podcasting conference. And it's the whole thing weirdest for me is I see people like you and Dave Jackson and a few other people, and I get nervous when I first see you because you guys are like, in, in my eyes, like superstars in the space. Like right. I know your stuff from the internet for so long. That I feel like, okay, this is like meeting Michael Jordan or someone, you know, We're making dis- sport. I, yeah. I don't know why I make sports. And then we, dis- and then we disappoint you when we open our mouths. <laughs> <laughs> most most people in this space are, don't, have never disappointed me. Yeah, you know? that's so great. Yeah, most people have been very generous with time and experience. And that's what I'm, thing I'm trying to do now is a bunch of other fishing podcasts that come on the internet recently. Yeah. and And I've reached out to every one of them. And offered them uh, support, nice. and and I helped them get their audio right, and help them kind of get things moving, and get them on my show, and help share their stuff, and get more of them. We need more good podcasts, not more podcasts. Yeah, we need more people like you, ambassadors for podcasting in the space as well. Yeah, it's totally fun. So, so where's the best place for folks to track you down? I uh, fish nerds everywhere. Um, okay. Fishnerds.com, fish nerds on the um, on the internet. <laughs> fish nerds. That's it. It's, <laughs> It's not hard. Fish Nerd Nation on Instagram, I think, because okay. someone else has Fish Nerds. But once I own the trademark, um, I'll get it back. I'll get that back. Well, yeah, I'm working again. on that. Thanks again, Clay. I hope you have a fantastic day. Hey, thanks, Harry. So thanks again to Clay for coming on the show and sharing his story. No matter how they make their way to me, I'm always internally grateful for the guests and spending that much time, spending an hour of their time with me. Um, to spread the podcasting gospel. <laughs> so many different podcast hosts doing amazing things with their show, and, and Clay and his Fish Nerds podcast is just another example of that. We are a proud member of podcastica.com, intro and outro music composed by, say it with me, Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his list of amazing music. Next week, we have an interesting conversation with David Ridgen. He is an award-winning independent Canadian filmmaker turned podcast host. And his show is Someone Knows Something, and it, and it's part of this new wave of um, true crime. And he's got an interesting take on it because, like I mentioned, he started as a filmmaker. So he, he's putting a ton of research. Um, and it actually changed my opinion of, of these types of shows. I, I wasn't that much of a fan, but when you get to speak to someone who takes their craft super seriously like uh, David does, it makes for a really interesting conversation. So that's next week. Um, if you made it this far, if I can get the words out of my mouth, <laughs> the retention hashtag is going to be fish nerd clay, F I S H N E R D C L A Y hashtag and tag him at fish nerds, F I S F F I S H N E R D S. And, uh, we are at podcast underscore junkies. If you want to do something to support the show, then I think an iTunes review would be good if you haven't done that already. If I keep asking you and you haven't done it and you're like, oh man, Harry keeps asking me, I should do it. Then today's the day. 
Um, but if you're just new to the show, then make sure you download our free PDF of the eight tools I've used to launch Podcast Junkies at podcastjunkies.com slash eight tools. And you'll also be updated uh, with every time we have a new episode. So you don't miss a thing. Take care, guys. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.